As a matter of fact, our lesson this morning is going to center on the grace of God. Have you ever been in the place where you convinced yourself that you were going to receive some kind of reward? That you just knew that perhaps you deserved a promotion? Perhaps it was something that you, you just knew that, you know, your years of service and the things you've done and the, the time you put in and the energy and the effort and all of that, that, that you, you deserve this only to be let down when you discover that things didn't turn out the way you thought they would. You thought you deserved it, but somebody else decided somebody else was more worthy of it. You ever been in that place? We build up our expectations. We, we build up our, our belief of what is owed to us, what we deserve, something that we feel like we have earned, that our actions have merited. However, sometimes the merit exists only in our own eyes. This assumption that something is owed to us often sets us up for great disappointments. And it is from that viewpoint that we find our parable that we're going to study this morning in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27. I'm not going to ask you to read because I've got a lengthy scripture reading. I'm going to break it up this morning. But Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27, Peter asked Jesus a question. And that question reveals that he's probably thinking along the same lines that you and I were thinking in the situation that I have described. The, the verse says this, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? So Peter says, Lord, we, we've given up so much. To follow you. We have forsaken everything and come behind you and followed you and supported you and we've been your biggest fans and we've been there for you all along at great sacrifice to ourselves. What then shall be our reward? It's obvious that Peter thinks that the sacrifice of the original 12, the first followers of Jesus Christ, is worthy of a greater reward than those who came later and followed him later. I mean, come on, they were Jesus' followers before it was cool to follow Jesus. Amen? They were with Jesus before the miracles, before the crowds, before all the public attention. They followed him when nobody else was following him. Now that it has become popular, now that everyone is doing it, now that many have cast their lot in with Jesus, perhaps now Peter feels like there should be some extra level of reward for those that have been faithful all along. Our parable this morning is part of Jesus' answer to that question. And it begins with the iconic phrase that every parable we're studying in this series starts with, for the kingdom of heaven is like. It is a 16-verse parable, and I, I have the feeling this morning there's a chance I could go 
uh, be lengthy. And so I'm not going to read all 16 verses at the outset because we will read them all in the context of the service. So we're just going to go verse by verse, if that's okay. Beginning with Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. So Jesus begins a parable talking about a householder, which is another word for a landowner. And this particular landowner owns a vineyard. He has a vineyard on his land, and that's how he supports himself. Now the parable is set during the season of the year when the grapes have ripened on the vine, and the moment has come to pick them at the height of their goodness. The grape harvest is an urgent thing. It must be done in a very narrow window of time. When the grapes have reached their peak, they must be picked before they begin to decline. Amen. This is a situation that often requires an influx of extra workers. The, the farmhands can't handle all the picking because it all happens all at once. Still happens that way today. I know a family that we went to church with in Bono that once a year they packed their family up and they went north to work in the vineyards to pick grapes. Just a few weeks at a time, maybe a month, but they earned enough money in that month to carry them through several months because a farmer's willing to pay generously if he can get people to get in there and get the grapes off the stem before it's too late. So that's the case here. The the man goes out early in the morning as the day is getting ready to break and he seeks out laborers. Now those who need work would gather in the marketplace and, and they, would, they would get there in the wee hours of the morning and they would stand around and wait for those who needed to hire day laborers and those that needed to hire day laborers would go to the marketplace and they would select their laborers out of those that were gathered there. Our landowner, he went early. Because the earlier you went, the more liberty you had to pick the best workers, the strongest, the, the most able, those that are most faithful. And you had your pick of the litter, if you will. If you had waited until later in the morning, then someone else would have already picked through them and, and hired the best laborers. So the thing about these workers is that they are day laborers, that none of them are gainfully employed. They have no regular job. One might think of them as being poor or impoverished. They have no other source of income except this. And every day they go to the marketplace. And every day they hope to get hired for a day's wages. Amen? We don't really identify real well with that. It's been a long time since this nation has been in that kind of condition. But if you look back and remember or perhaps remember stories you've heard about the Great Depression, that's the way it was then. Amen. The factory would come and, and men would gather outside of the factory and hope to get picked to work that day and the and the crew boss would come out and say well we need 10 men you 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 and you and when he got done the rest of you can go on home there's no work for you today amen so this is what is happening they've gathered together and this they, this this landowner comes in and and he takes these that are they're hoping they're all hoping to get hired because this is the way they feed their families 
Amen? And so he selects the ones that he selects to work in his vineyard, and he sends them to the vineyard. Actually, before he sends them to the vineyard, he comes to an agreement with them. Verse 2 says, And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So the penny here is the denarius that we talked about last week. It is the standard wage for a day's work. It is what everybody was pretty well the standard of what you earned in a, in a day's work in that day and age. So there's nothing extravagant about the initial deal. They struck a bargain, Brother Donnie. They put in a full day's labor for a full day's pay. Amen? And so with that settled, he sent them on to his field. Verse 3 says, And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing in the marketplace, or standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. So now the story skips ahead three hours. And the landowner has decided that the task at hand is greater than the abilities of the crew that he's hired. And so he goes back to the marketplace to hire more help. Jesus said that he went at about the third hour of the day. I want to give you a little insight on what that means. It's the third hour after sunrise. The day was generally divided in that day and age into 12 parts or 12 hours. The day began at daylight, which was the first hour, and is halfway over at midday, which was the sixth hour, and it was completely spent at nightfall, which was the twelfth hour. Now, you and I understand that the length of days changes on a regular cycle. Some days are longer in the summertime than days in the wintertime, which are shorter. But timing and, and keeping time was not a real accurate thing then. Nobody had a watch. And they, there was no clock. There was just a general sense of timing. So the day was broken up into these 12 segments. And so it, it's assumed that the day begins somewhere around 6 in the morning. And the day ends somewhere around 6 in the evening. And there are 12 hours in between. Do you follow? So when we say the third hour of the day, we're talking about halfway between daybreak and noon. That's about 9 o'clock in the morning. And at 9 o'clock in the morning, at mid-morning, the landowner goes back to the marketplace and he hires more laborers. What he he finds in the marketplace at mid-morning are these workers who are standing around idle. Evidently, they were looking for work, but they had not been hired yet. Perhaps they came to the marketplace too late. Perhaps they got there after the other landowners had already come in and hired their laborers for the full day's work. Or, or maybe they were looked over in the initial hiring, but for whatever reason, they're here now. And they're hoping against hope that they can find someone who will put them to work, that will give them at least a partial day's wages. Our landowner hires them. And he simply directs them to go into his vineyard, and he promises them that he will give them whatever is right. In other words, he's going to pay them a fair wage. 
He didn't specify exactly what that wage would be. They probably expected him to pay them the right portion of a denarius for the amount of work that they would do. They they were going to do about three quarters of a day's work, so they would probably expect to receive about three quarters of a denarius. The fifth verse says, And he went out about the sixth hour and ninth hour and did likewise. So as our story unfolds, the landowner goes back to the marketplace throughout the day to hire more workers. These workers that were hired later in the day were certainly those unfortunate workers had either been passed over earlier in the day or who had only been hired for a partial day's work and having completed the tasks they were set to have returned to the marketplace hoping to get hired for the rest of the day. Whatever the case is, these are men who desperately needed work. If they did not find work, then it's possible their families may not eat that night. So the employer comes in and he strikes the same agreement with the workers that he hired at noon and at three in the afternoon that he struck with the ones that were hired at nine. He said, you go work in my field and I'll pay you what is right. Then the sixth verse says at about the 11th hour, He went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why stand ye here all day idle? So this is the part of the story that's important to Jesus. This is the part of the story now where we're going to get into the answer to Peter's question. At about the 11th hour of the day, which would be around 5 o'clock on a day that a work day that ends around 6 o'clock. So with roughly one hour left to work. The landowner goes back to the marketplace. And the amazing thing is that he, at that late hour of the day, he's still seeking laborers. He's still seeking men to work in his field. The the hour's late. The day is short. There's there's very little time left, but the grapes will not keep indefinitely. The the night is coming whenever it's going to be too late. And so the window of harvest is short, and the landowner recognizes he needs men to get into the field, and he feels that it's imperative that he gets all the grapes out of the vineyard today, so he needs this last influx of workers to make sure the harvest is complete before it is too late. Now, by this time, the working day is almost over. And it's somewhat surprising that there would still be potential laborers seeking employment in the marketplace. The fact that they are still there perhaps indicates that they desperately needed work that they these are those that are hanging home this these are those that have ha, have waited all day long and and they need work so bad brother Donnie that an hour before the day land ends they're still standing there hoping someone will come along and hire them and so the verse says verse 7 says they say unto him so he ended Let me back up. He ended when he came. The last verse ended with our landowner asking these idle workers a question. He said, why have you been standing idle all day long? 
They answered him, verse 7, they say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith to them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So their response is revelatory. No one has hired them. That may give us some insight into what kind of people these are. They're probably social outcasts. They're the kind of people that no one wants to hire to do a job. Maybe they're weak. Maybe they're frail. Maybe they're injured. Maybe uh, they're unreliable. There are a whole host of reasons why they've stood in the marketplace all day long. And no one has hired them. These are those who have been rejected by other employers as unworthy to work. These are those that no one else wanted, that no one else was willing to fool with, that no one else was going to take the time to mess with. These were those that nobody was going to trust with even an hour's worth of work. That's the class of worker that gets hired at the 11th hour of the day. They really were a basket full of deplorables. They were the undesirables. They were the ones that nobody wanted in their field. But our landowner, he hires these men. And he tells them to go work in his vineyard with the same promise he's given those who went before them. I'll pay you whatever is right. Now they can't expect that to be very much. The best that they could hope for is to earn one-twelfth of a day's pay because they're only going to work one hour out of a 12-hour day. And this is the point in our parable now where the action shifts. If we talked about the same terms that we talked about last week, we'd say this would be the second scene or, or the second act. Amen. This is the point where the master, the landowner, is no longer hiring. Now he's paying. And so verse 8 says, When even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. So the landowner calls the steward over, and he gives him an odd set of instructions. Gather the workers together. Get them all in one place and pay them. But let those who came last... Those who were hired at the 11th hour of the day, those are the ones I want you to pay first. Now, we don't really get an indication of why he chose to pay them in that order. Surely, this isn't the natural order of things. Surely, those who have worked the longest and have worked the hardest, you want to go ahead and pay them and let them get on home. And those who are fresh, they've only been there an hour. Surely, they can wait for the others to be paid. But we don't really know why he decides to do it this way. We do know that he's a very generous man. We know that he's about to be very generous to those who were hired last. And perhaps he wants those who were hired earlier in the day to see his generosity and know what manner of man that he is. Whatever the case, verse 9 says that when they came that were hired about the 11th hour, they received every man a penny. So those who were hired last were paid first. And can you imagine the shockwave that goes through all the laborers 
when those humble men, those outcasts, those who were unfit to be hired, those who were not in their prime anymore, who couldn't do the same kind of work that the others could do, who, who were too weak or too frail or too unfit to work in the prime hours of the day, but came in and worked at the very end of the day when they received their paycheck. And it's 12 times as big as what they expected or what they earned or what they deserved. Immediately, the other workers begin to recognize their boss is a very generous man. And they, they no doubt they begin to calculate what their pay is going to be. For most of them, there hasn't been a discussion of actual pay. He just said, I'm going to pay you what's right. And so they start calculating in their mind what their pay is going to be based on this multiple of 12. Those to whom a fool's day's wage is owed are probably thinking now, well, I'm going to get 12 denarius instead of one. Those to whom three quarters of a day is owed are probably thinking I'm going to get nine denarius instead of just uh, uh, three quarters of one. Those to whom half a day is owed are probably thinking I'm going to get six denarius as, as opposed to half of a denarius. You get the, the line of thinking that is going on there. However... They've completely misinterpreted what has happened. The landowner is a generous man. And he understands that the impoverished men that he's hired, the ones that he hired last, the ones that no one else wanted, the ones that no one else was willing to put any faith in, those are those who desperately need a day's wages. They're the ones that can't earn it. They're the ones that that they'll never find it anywhere else. If they're going to adequately provide for their families, someone is going to have to have mercy on them. Someone is going to have to show them some grace. And so our landowner is generous, and he makes up his mind that he's going to bless those men the same as he's going to bless everybody else. The payment is not evidence of an extravagant wage. It's not evidence of a 12-fold bonus. That's how the others interpreted it. But it's evidence of the compassion that the landowner has. He has determined that every man who works in his field, every man who labors in his vineyard is going to receive a full day's wage no matter how short their tenure may have been. Verse 10 says, But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. So the parable skips over the laborers who are hired at 9 o'clock and at noon and at 3 o'clock, but we can surmise that Those who worked a quarter of the day probably expected to receive three days' wages or three denarius, but they were also paid a single denarius. Now, that was still a bonus. It was not as big of a bonus as they probably expected, but it was still more than they had earned. Amen? Likewise, those who were hired at noon were now expecting six days' wages, and they received one day's wages, which was twice what they had expected. And those who were hired at nine in the morning likely expected to receive nine days' wages, but they also received one day's wage, which was uh, a quarter more than they had expected. So all of them, in every case, the payment is a bonus. 
In every case, they received more than they deserved. But even though they still received a bonus, you got to imagine that they're a little disappointed because their bonus was not as large as the first group, that group that came in the 11th hour of the day. And then finally, the men who have worked all day long, the men who were hired bright and early before the sun really got up good, those who have put in a full 12 hours of labor in the vineyard, they, they come before the master. They who have agreed to receive a full day's wage for a full day's work. However, after seeing everybody else receive a bonus of some kind with their pay, they've forgotten their formal arrangement with their employer And now they expect to receive more than what they agreed upon. And after watching events unfold, I'm sure their expectations have changed several times. When the 11th hour workers got paid, and they got paid 12 times what was expected, they they probably thought they would get 12 times. And they've watched now as it has diminished with every class of worker that has come before the landowner, and the, the, the bonus has gone down each time. But it seems reasonable that they would expect some kind of additional bonus. After all, everyone else has gotten a bonus. Even if it diminished in size from beginning to end, everyone else has gotten more than they worked for. So these workers would have reasoned within themselves that they've worked longer hours. They've done more work. They've worked in the hotter part of the day. They deserve more pay. But it didn't work out that way. They received, just like everybody else did, a day's wages for a day's work. What a strange pay structure. The longer a particular group worked, the smaller the percentage of a bonus they received. And that group that worked the whole day, they get nothing extra at all. When you look at it as an hourly wage, the pay scale seems to be going down. The hourly pay, pay is going down. The longer that you work, the less that you're getting paid. But when you look at it as an act of grace, you see each and every laborer receiving the same amount regardless of their worth. Regardless of their merit, regardless of the work that they have actually done, everybody is paid the same by the landowner. It becomes obvious that the landowner is genuinely concerned for the underprivileged in his society. He has determined that anybody that labors in his vineyard, regardless of the amount of time that they put in, he's going to bless them the same as he blesses everybody else who labors in his vineyard. But his generosity causes some discontent among the workers. Verse 11 says, And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house. 
So instead of rejoicing that they received a full day's pay for a full day's work, when the day started, they didn't even know if they'd have a job to go to. When the day started, they didn't even know if there would be any, any pay that would come in. And, and now we're at the end of the day, and they have received a full day's work for a full day's pay. And any other day, that would be cause for celebration. Amen. Any other day, that would be cause to get excited. To, to skip home and say, you know, we're going to eat good tonight. Go buy the fat goose, amen. Go get together the good groceries, amen. I got a full day's pay today. Everything is going to be okay for another day. But instead of rejoicing, they begin to murmur because they feel like they've not been treated fairly. No doubt the ones who murmured the loudest were the ones who had worked a full 12 hours but received the same pay as everybody else. Verse 12 says, They said, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which had borne the burden and the heat of the day. Their complaint amounted to this. They had not been treated fairly. The latecomers had worked only one hour. So their contribution to the work in the vineyard was minuscule. But when it came to pay, they were all made equal. Everybody received the same as those who had done the most work. And so they complained not just about the time that they spent working, but about the conditions under which they worked. They worked through the heat of the day. They had worked through the hardest part of the day, while the laborers who were paid most generously only worked a single hour, and they did that in the coolest part of the day. Surely those who had done a full day's work, surely those who had sweated under the blazing sun deserved to be paid more than those who did not. It simply was not fair. And the whole parable boils down to the fact that they were jealous of what had been given to the others. They envied the generosity of the landowner to the people who had no merit. It's that sense of entitlement that is the point of the parable. That's what lies behind Peter's initial question. Don't we who have labored longer deserve something extra? Don't we who have been with you since the beginning? We who have invested our whole lives. We who have sacrificed so much. Don't we deserve a little something extra? Verse 13 says, But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? So the landowner simply points them back to their original agreement. He says, friend, I've done nothing wrong. Weren't you paid exactly what you agreed to receive? We made a deal. And you upheld your end of the bargain. And so have I. I have done exactly what I said I would do. The fact that he was more generous with the other workers does not give these men any right to expect that he would give them more than they initially agreed to. We had a bargain. We made a deal. I told you I would pay you a full day's wage, and I told them I'd pay them what was right. And what seems right to me is none of your business. I paid you what you deserved. The point is they have been treated 
fairly. They had, there has been no law broken here. So Jesus tells that the, the, the landowner says to them in verse 14, Take that thine is, take what you have, and go your way. I'll give unto the last, even as I've given unto thee. It was his right to bless who he wanted to bless. The latter half of that verse is very important because the phrase in the Greek, in the English it, it says, I, I will give. But the phrase in the Greek says, I want to give. I have a desire to give unto the last, even as I have given unto thee. The landowner has chosen to be generous to those who have no expectation of generosity. He wants to bless uh, those who were looked over, those who were not the pick of the litter, those who were rejected by everyone else, those who were the outcast, those who were weak and lame and not able to earn a full day's pay. He said, I want to bless them that's what grace is that's what it means to receive the mercy of the cross that's what it means to receive the grace of Jesus Christ it's God expressing his goodness in my life it's God saying you don't deserve it you're not worthy of it you would have been passed over if this was on the basis of merit you'd have been passed over if this was on the basis of what you bring to the table but I want to bless you I want to give my good things to you. I want to give you what you did not earn. And I've got to tell you, my friend, I didn't earn this, and neither did you. Every one of us has been a recipient of the grace of God. We don't want to be held accountable for what we did not do right. We don't want to be held accountable for the wrongs that we've committed. But for some strange reason, we want our good deeds to benefit us. We want to hold God to blessings we didn't earn by citing the things that we have done or the years of service that we put in. Verse 15 says, Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is I not evil because I'm good? So the landowner finishes his argument with two questions. The first is, is it not my right to spend my money however I see fit? He didn't shortchange anyone. He didn't give anybody any less than he agreed to or they agreed to. He simply exercised a little extra generosity on some of them, and that's his right. Listen, if you don't get anything else out of what I'm going to say this morning, I recognize I'm going a little long. I'll ask for your apology later on, but I'm going to finish this. Amen. If you don't get anything else out of what I'm going to tell you this morning, get this. God doesn't answer to you, and God doesn't answer to me for the blessings he pours out on somebody else. God doesn't answer to me for the reason why the preacher across town is having a revival. God doesn't answer to me for the reason why somebody else has been blessed financially. God doesn't owe me an explanation uh, for why he's doing something good in somebody else's life. Uh, and I find myself walking through the valley of shadow and death. God doesn't owe me any explanation because every good 
everything that I have comes from his grace and his mercy. Every blessing in my life I got from him, not on the basis of my merit, not on the basis of anything that I've done. He doesn't owe me anything. I haven't earned any of it. How in the world could we ever sit in judgment over the blessings that others have received without recognizing that we too, Brother Donnie, we've received blessings we didn't deserve. We've received blessings we didn't earn. He's been just as good to us. That's the heartbeat of this parable. That's the message that Jesus is sending to Peter. Second question is about an evil eye, and it's pointed at their own envy and greed. The landowner has been both fair and generous, but all they can see is that someone else receives something in greater measure than them. The generosity of the landowner has made them jealous. And jealousy is always an ugly thing, particularly when we who have received so much are jealous of someone else simply because they got something better than we did. They got something maybe a little more than what we got. Verse 16 says, So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. We often fall into the same trap that Peter fell into. We want to think about things in terms of rank. As if we could somehow earn the blessings of God. We want to point out our own faithfulness while overlooking our own failures. And insist that we somehow deserve the goodness of God. But that simply isn't the case. Though God treats no one unfairly, he deals with each of us from the abundance of his grace. And it seems sometimes like he deals with some far more leniently than they deserve. But God alone in his sovereignty freely chooses whom he will bless and in what way he'll bless them. The point is simple. The last will be first. And the first will be last. Those who deserved it least will be elevated. And those who think they deserved it the most are going to miss out on the greatest blessing of the kingdom. And he does it all out of his great grace. He doesn't owe you and me any explanation. That rankles our feathers a little bit. At the heart of the matter, we're all just like Peter. It doesn't seem fair to us that those who deserve it less should receive it more. It just doesn't make sense. Our, our, our reasoning is flawed when we begin to think that way because we've convinced ourselves then that we have somehow earned God's blessings, that he owes us something, that we deserve something, that we're entitled to something that, that God would do for us. And we failed to recognize that every good gift that he has given us has been an act of his grace. And we who have so richly received his grace have no right to stand in judgment over the one who has blessed us simply because we think he's blessed another 
in greater measure. The point of this parable is simple. If you've made an agreement with the master, it's his vineyard. And you've agreed to work in that vineyard. And your contract with him is in between you and him. And it's none of your business what kind of agreement he makes with anybody else. That's the point of the parable. Your salvation is in between you and God. Your blessings are in between you and God. God will do for you what he said he'd do for you, and he won't answer to you what he does for anybody else. He owes you no more than that which he has promised to give you. He owes none of us any more than eternal life in heaven with him. Everything else is extra. Amen? The point of the parable is to abolish that sense of entitlement that we all seem to have, but that we forget when we're, when we're feeling entitled. What, what we forget when we, we get that attitude of entitlement is that we don't really want to be treated fairly because we don't want God to give us what we truly deserve or every one of us would be lost. We've received His grace. We've been the recipient of His mercy. We, we want God to be merciful and gracious. We just want Him to bless us as much as He blesses someone else. And so we count our blessings, and then we compare the quantity or the quality of our blessings to the blessing that someone else has gotten. We, we look at somebody else and we say, well, they, you know, he's just a young whippersnapper. He hadn't been in this thing as long as I have. Look, he's been elevated, and he's being blessed, and, and his church is having revival, and they, they're financially well off, and there's all of these blessings. Lord, did you forget about me over here? That's the wrong attitude, because what God does for him it's none of my business. And God's going to take care of me in his own way, in his own time. So the parable teaches us several important lessons in regards to Peter's question. Its biggest lesson is that the rewards of the kingdom of God are not given on the basis of merit or time served. They're given on the grounds of grace and grace alone. And the reward is often disproportionate to the works that were actually done, even to us who feel like we've earned something. We, we still get more than we've ever deserved. In other words, salvation is not an arithmetic problem where you add up all the goodness in your life in one column and all the bad things that you've done in another column and hope against hope that the value of the first column is larger than the value of the second column. That's not how it works. That's the way we would measure it. That's the way we would determine whether or not we deserve the blessings of God, but that's not the way God measures it because our process completely leaves out His grace in our lives, and we need His grace. Another point of the parable, and perhaps one that sinks real well with the parable of the net that we talked about a week or so ago, is that God still seeks the undesirables. Even at the 11th hour of the day, even at the end of the day, he's still willing to take those that everybody else has passed over and make them a part of his kingdom. Listen, there are no fences around the cross. 
There is no exclusion at the cross. There is nobody who is forbidden the grace of God and the mercy of God. Amen. They may be the outcast of our society. They may be the rejects. They may be those that nobody else wants to have anything to do with. They may be those that are ceremonially unclean, if you will. But the cross is for every one of them. And don't be surprised when God takes them from the gutter and elevates them to the kingdom because that's the way he works. Amen. The lesson we should learn there is that we don't prejudge those to whom we, we preach the gospel. The gospel is for everyone, even those that are least desirable. The salvation of God is grounded in the goodness of God, not anything that we would ever do or anybody else would ever do to earn it. We didn't deserve it, and we got it. And they didn't deserve it, but God wants to bless them. He wants to bless them. This world is full of lost people. This world is full of people who don't deserve the grace and the mercy and the love of God. But he wants to bless them. This city is full of people that maybe have turned their back on God, maybe have rejected him, maybe have, have done horrible things. But he wants to bless them. That's the heartbeat of God. And it must be the heartbeat of his church. Would you stand with me? Brother Ryan, if you'd come and figure out some song to sing to tie all this together. I don't envy you that task. Something on the grace of God would probably be good right about now. The problem is that where God is merciful to us, Sometimes we're just like Peter, and we want God to be stingy with his blessings for others. We want to sit in judgment over the judge. He who has given us mercy, we want to judge him because he shows more mercy to someone else. That's not the way it works. Whenever we get that kind of mindset, we forget that we're no different than they are. See, at the beginning of the day, none of those men had jobs. None of them had a place to work. At the end of the day, all of them received the same wage. There really was no difference between them. Sure, some of them worked longer than others. Undoubtedly, some of them worked harder than others. But none of them deserved what they got. Every one of us is striving for heaven. We're going to reach the other side. That's our reward. Whatever we have to walk through in this life, whatever you have to endure or go through, whatever you do, don't let yourself get caught in that place where you're comparing your blessing to somebody else's. Because you'll always be disappointed. You'll always find yourself falling away from the mercy and grace of God. Letting bitterness get a hold of your heart. and Letting jealousy and greed creep in. Whenever you start comparing yourselves among yourselves. 
this parable is kind of a prelude to what's going to follow. The, the disciples are going to have an argument over who gets to sit at Jesus' right hand. Who's the greatest of the disciples? He's going to get frustrated with them and tell them, haven't you heard what I've been saying all along? J.T. Pugh used to say it this way. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. None of us stands any higher than anybody else. And none of us stands any lower than anybody else. Every one of us comes to the cross a sinner in need of salvation. And God is merciful to us all. I want to ask you this morning if you find a place of prayer and for the next few moments if you just turn your heart towards heaven. There are several different ways we should pray this morning. First of all, we need to, if you're dealing with the issue of comparing and competing and complaining, you need to put that under the blood of Jesus and recognize the goodness and the grace of God that's in your life. And if you don't find yourself in that place this morning, perhaps you do well just to remember, amen, God wants to bless the lost. He wants to bless your world. There are people around you that you may think are unworthy, that you may think don't belong or don't deserve it but God wants to bless them and he'll do that through you if you'll let him why don't you pray out why don't you cry out to him this morning and pray and just tell him Lord I want to be in that place I want to be that one Lord that you can flow through I want to be that hand Lord that reaches out to the lost world I want to be that mouthpiece God that invites somebody to church I want to I want to be the one God that lets your grace and your mercy flow through me because such as you've loved me, the way that you've shown mercy to me, the way that you've shown me your grace, God, you want to do that for somebody else. Why don't you pray for a few moments this morning? Just turn your heart towards him. Say, Lord, would you touch me? Would you change me, Jesus?